<laughs> we took her to the into the driveway and she just like sticks her paws out straight. She's like, no. Welcome to episode 322 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Today we're in the Batcave, Jason's Batcave, and the only thing I can say is, who let the dogs out? <laughs> yeah, so the big news is we got a, got a puppy. I fought it as long as I could, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Sandy had been promising to the kids that we'd get a dog once we uh, got a house, which we've had for, you know, getting it going on a year now. Not quite. And... Um, once our backyard was sort of finished, we had a, we were just about, our pool's just about finished. And so once the, all the mud and everything was gone, it was doggy time. So uh, the, the girls were uh, lobbying for a teacup Pomeranian. And I was like, hell no, because you know what's going to happen. They're going to go off to college and who's going to be walking this teacup Pomeranian around the block every day for <laughs> another decade. And so I was like, no, if we're going to get a dog... I want like a real dog. I want like a wolf dog, you know, like a German Shepherd uh-huh. or a Husky or something like that. And so Sandy saw on, um, I don't know, on the web somewhere, there was a uh, uh, a shelter that had um, a litter of um, Husky Shepherd mixes. Um, that and, that was the, and so we went over and took a look at them. And then Sandy went back, took the kids and uh, got a little female 10 11 week old puppy and uh so here's the funny part though so um you know the idea of of getting like a a dog like that is that you want to kind of something that's a little bit of a protection you know if the kids are alone or <laughs> you know i mean if you hear if you see a dog like that kind of at the door barking you know it's kind of like ah, okay and if sandy wants to go hiking you know, or something she can take. She likes to go hiking by herself down the Royal or yeah. something. Then, you know, you can have a little bit of protection with you. Um, the dog, her name's Maisie, is afraid to go on a dog walk. <laughs> afraid to go on a dog walk. <laughs> we took her to the end of the driveway and she just like sticks her paws out straight. She's like, no. And so we have to, I mean, we there were so many aborted attempts where we made like, you know, 10 feet, 30 feet. She just uh, wouldn't walk. <laughs> you know, and finally we were able to figure out how to entice her. So what I, I would, it would take Sandy and I together and Sandy would go like 10, 15 feet ahead and kind of hold a little bit of a tree and go, come on, Maisie, come on, Maisie. <laughs> <laughs> and we would do that for like a mile <laughs> all oh around God. the block. Now, as soon as we got more than halfway, she could tell we were on our way home and then she'd put the leash in her mouth and would be pulling us. Really? Heading home. Wow. Smart so, dog, man. The first time I, I saw that... Uh, she wouldn't really walk. I, I just looked at Sandy. I was like, nice choice. <laughs> like, yeah, great. So, uh, she's just a puppy, though. Yeah. She's very, very sweet. Well, hopefully she'll uh, she'll grow into and endure herself a little bit. But yeah, she's, she's very sweet. She's very sweet. Now, what about dog draining and stuff like that? Like in indoors, is she is she puppy trained? Not yet. Train? No, we're still working on it. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, she's okay. You know, it's funny. It looked How like she, she was off to a good start, but then there's been some uh, regression. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what... How long it's going to take. How old is she now? About three months. Okay. I think. New one. Yeah. Freshly so. picked. That's right. That's Freshly right. Picked so that's Daisy. the big news. What's, what's new with you? Uh, uh, 
there's, there's no, I mean, I'm working on stuff. I can't talk about too much. The, there's a little bit with the book. Oh, oh, one thing. One thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, our last show was Quick and Dirty, right? Uh-huh. Well, I had, I've been working on this sort of super, super secret side project. And I realized that I don't do it the way that you do it. The, you, you do it quick and dirty, right? You're like, just, just hack, hack it and then sort of get it together. Get, get back. something working. What I do is, you've heard of waterfall, right? Yeah, the waterfall method. Yeah. I do microfall. <laughs> okay, so what is microfall? <laughs> it's like, okay, so imagine you were building some um, just as, as an example i just want to pick an example that everyone knows so imagine you were going to build a search engine like google from from the ground up so i, I rather than do it quick and dirty i sort of think okay what is the what is the absolutely key thing here the basic the most basic level of this whole thing i've got to get that really really good and then i've just got to get that part right so for example with google it's just like a database with search with fast with really fast indexing. So I'll get that bit right before I move on to anything else. And I'll get it so that it's like blindingly fast. It's really, really good. And then I'll move on to the next piece, which is, you know, I don't know, qu query parsing or something like that. So, so I, I sort of won't move ahead and try and build out the whole thing. I'll just sort of microfall it. I'll just Mic do each little, each little layer, get it really right, then do the next layer. And the reason why is because especially um, what I find is that, um, if you're doing websites and stuff, if you create like a little UI library, mm -hmm. you know, and you get that right, that, although it's a pain in the beginning to get it right, let's say you're doing something on mobile or whatever, but once you've got that UI library, then it's really quick to just like create a new page, create a new title, create a new thing. And it's just like, you got it, just did it just right to begin with. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so. Well, I think it's. <laughs> it's a little different. It's a little bit of to each his own. Right, right. You know, it's like you find you find the methods and the tools and the techniques yeah. that work for you. I mean, that's that's uh -huh. all you can do, and that's why there are you know five hundred different programming languages and <laughs> yeah. three million you know frameworks and libraries. Is you know, it's like you can use use whatever you want, do whatever you want. There's a million ways to get something yeah. done, and you just got to find what works for you. And you know, there's always they all have pitfalls, and and I think really it's sort of like you look at your own personal strengths and weaknesses, your own yeah. personal, um, we, we all have our own demons that we have to manage. Like what are the things that I do that screw, that screw my, my progress up or screw up my progress? Like what, what are, are impeded? And, mm -hmm. you know, for me, for a long time, it was sort of perfectionism. Yeah. And so for yeah. me, it's an overcompensation. The other, it's like, if I start trying to perfect, then I immediately go down there and I just Got get it. stuck in this hole of perfect, you know, and then I don't get anything done. And, and yeah. it, it 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 reminds me the the worst case of, of I've ever heard of is my friend Don who from college was um, he was sort of an aspiring writer and he was working on this uh, this story it was called the short story called the puddle <laughs> <laughs> the puddle <laughs> the puddle and he never made it past the first paragraph. <laughs> Because he just kept reworking it and reworking it. And it was like this James Joycean uh, thing where every word and phrase was just packed with wow. meaning and metaphor and complexity and nuance. And you're just like, and I was just like, dude, you're like, I'm like, I'm telling you, that is one great paragraph, but a paragraph <laughs> does not make a story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I still tease him about that, you know, 25 years later. That's but hilarious. It was, he just couldn't get past, and I just write the damn story first and then come back 
in built-in levels of nuance and complexity because you have a better idea where it's going and what it is. You have some anyway. Yeah, I, I I guess I get I I take it to you know sort of good enough to be really good, but I don't I don't get go to that level that you're talking about. Although with doing the book recently, I have had some sleepless nights about paragraphs. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I know what that yeah. feels like. Well, you know, there's a there's a time and a place to anguish over detail. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. You can, if you want, anguish over them earlier. The problem is if you anguish on it too early, you don't have enough perspective on what this creative product is going to be. Mm-hmm. And you end up wasting weeks perfecting something, in your, a feature that, oh, guess what? Don't need that feature. Like, that was stupid. Now, you might get, you might be fortunate in the sense that your original vision was what was ultimately realized. So you were on the right path from the start. It did not change the more you learned as you went along, in which case she's not thrown away. Yeah. You know, the, the downfall of quick and dirty is that now you got a bunch of crap you got to kind of rewrite. You have a prototype that you have to rewrite. And so you have to manage that. It's like, well, like, well, you can't get it let, let it get too out of hand. You're like, okay, just because I create a prototype, just keep that line that this is a prototype or this is a sketch. Now I do have to go back and rework it. I have, I have been involved in one company uh, where, you know, five years on, the entire product was the quick and dirty that had just been like layered yeah. and layered and layered. And I think that does happen every now and again. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. it just, and, and whether or not, to, to whatever degree it fails or succeeds, just depends, or any approach fails or succeeds, just depends on the personalities involved, the dynamics of the organization, the budget. I mean, there's so many things to say to, to, that can impact that kind of a thing or determine whether or not it succeeds or fails. So you just can't really say, well, this is how you do it, but just things you got to be aware of. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, for you, you know, you're very much, I think of you as very much like a craftsman. Like you just get in and you just love just tweaking out the UI and you like to really like to worry about the brand and early and you really have to worry about the colors and you really got the, oh, look how auto kind of fades in and all this kind of stuff. But see, that thing kind of gets you really jazzed because it brings you to alive for you and gets you more excited, which gives you more momentum, I think. And, yeah, that's probably true. And if you're if you're doing things that are making you feel good and making you feel even more motivated, then you know maybe that's better that you do that. If if you just kind of threw together a bunch of crap and meanwhile you know, you're like, okay, look, I'm I'm going to just sort of half screw in every one of these screws just so that I can make sure everything is kind of working. But for the but for the fact that the the ui and the details are so shoddy that it just drives you nuts and you're so unhappy you might just kill your enthusiasm so maybe you're like look i know what makes me happy so i'm doing the things that make me happy to keep giving me momentum because momentum is everything or you know maybe it's not everything but it's a lot it's really important to have momentum and it's and i don't mean just like momentum and the number of lines of code you're you know or some metric it's the, it's this sort of psychological mindset Oh, completely. Yeah. Lots of, yeah, that, that's absolutely key. Well, um, I just wanted to just quickly bring it up. I don't want to do like a, a huge big discussion about it because we talked about it a lot on mm-hmm. the last show, but anyway, that was it. There yeah. is a counter, yeah, there's always yeah, counter argument. Yeah. Counter, I mean, I mean, it's like, I wouldn't say I always do quick and dirty by any stretch, you know? Um, yeah. So you know what? I don't have like a huge amount to talk about. Like I just, I've got, I've got conversation. I can be part of a conversation. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't have a ton of stuff, so let's just kind of we'll just talk about a few. Well, things. it's weird because we're like we're doing it more regularly, so. Yeah, yeah. you know, I got to start coming up. I have some. I have a couple links that maybe we can talk about. Yeah, we'll have to. Do I'll that. talk a little bit. Let me just. Do, um, I'm. I'm just 
go buy some stuff that just popped in my head. Um, you know, so the math, I can tell you some math academy stuff. Oh yeah. I'd love to hear it. So the, um, the first per- piece of exciting news is that as of like a week or so ago, we had, we had 82 kids accept slots in math academy, sixth grade class. next. That's year. one grade, one grade, 82. Wow. So this is just to give you the numbers. We currently have, um, I guess what, five kids in the ninth grade, 25 in the eighth grade, 38 in the seventh grade, 46 in the sixth grade. So 82 will be bigger than you know, the next, that'll be, yeah, that's right around the next two grades. That'll be right around the next two grades combined. Uh, does that mean that the classes get bigger and that the that there's an issue with teaching or like, how are you going to manage that? <laughs> yeah. So right now it looks like, I mean, this is just like, a current account accounting, right? Like it doesn't. These are these 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 counts can change. We could have more kids. Usually they'll go. They'll go up. They won't go down. Yeah. So they could even go up a little bit more. But it was like some of the neighborhood of thirty three to thirty five kids at each of the schools had um, had been given spots, but not all of them had accepted. So we don't know how many. Some kids have just have, have you know they just opted to go to other middle schools for. for other and what's reasons. the usual class size? That you've been working with? Oh, it varies. I mean, the sixth What's grade. What's the biggest class size? I think like 24, 23. Okay. And that, and how did that work out? It was great. I mean, it's fine. You know, okay. it works out fine. You, I mean. Yeah, cool. You know, I, the way we run class, because it's an active learning environment where the kids are doing, spending most time actually doing problems and often working with the kids sitting next to them or something, it's not hard. It's hard to keep 35 kids quiet while you're talking lecturing oh the, well that's not what i'm thinking i'm i'm just wondering like are the kids with with that many kids to you know so few teachers does it does it um affect the pace of learning um because i, I know that they're all up at the board all the time doing stuff well not in some of these classes like those classes they don't do a lot of the words just there's not a board space okay so it's it, it, it one of our middle schools they just you know, has as many kids. They, I mean, occasionally have one kid come with board at a time to, you know, okay, do you want to show how they worked out problem number seven? You know, that kind of thing, you know, but it's not like you can do that. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, so that's really exciting. Mm, I mean, that's great. It's so I've said, as one thing I've always said is like my mental benchmark when I feel like, okay, we have really hit scale in the district when we're graduating 50 kids a year from the program. I mean, have 50 kids a year who are graduating high school with the equivalent of an undergraduate degree in math is going to be unreal. We, it's, not, it's not just that this program has succeeded, but the model, like what, it's not just, well, you know, you have two or three genius kids in this, this district that you just cultivated and that's okay, that's great, you know, but okay, so you, no, like <laughs> a lot of kids. And we, you know, if, if that, if, if we have that many kids coming in, I mean, we'll beat that mark with that particular class for sure. We may hit it, and each class grows a little bit because we have kids coming in through bridge, so that class four it may hit that mark first. So when when is the first one graduating then? So the question is whether you consider our initial five kids math academy since they were kind of they weren't the official pilot. Yeah, you know. So I think Sandy calls. So those are our guinea pigs. Yeah, the eighth graders who are currently taking calculus are our pilot, and they started off as elective classes. That wasn't a fully fleshed out thing in terms of approved credentialed yeah. classes, all that kind of stuff. It's their seventh grade class. Um, the, 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 so we're in our, the, that's their first year. So the seventh graders. Current seventh graders, I think you would say are. They're the, the real thing. And, and, and when will they be graduating? 
What so does... seven, so what, in five years, five oh, more years. Okay, so I got it. And with the first class of five, how many more years? That's Colby, right? Yeah, so you have three more years after this. Three year. more years for him to get there. Okay. So they're in ninth grade, yeah. And um, and is he, he, Colby's still doing Math Academy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, the, like, where are those guys at now? So they're doing um, linear algebra and vector analysis, or vector analysis sometimes called, referred to as multivariable calculus. So calculus in multiple dimensions and stuff. It's, he's doing, that's a class I took as a uh, sophomore math major. And what does that mean? And I was 20, sophomore, second year oh, of college. 20, okay. And he's Second year university, now. as you would say. So a second year university. And he's, he's, he's 14 now? He's 14. He's doing yeah. what I was doing when I was 20. Yeah, okay. And, wow. um, and I thought I was all that, right? <laughs> I was like one of the top math programs in the country. I was in taking these honors class, you know. And wow. He's, and honestly, I think the depth that they're going and how many applications, you know, they just do lots and lots of, they, I mean, I do, a, you, you cover some stuff, you do one problem set in college and you're done. Like you move on to other stuff. We're in our system. We're always working through problems and reviewing and integrating and building on it because you're cultivating these kids. You're not. It's college. It just doesn't sort of work that way. And uh, I think he'll know this stuff way better than me. Um, so a couple things I want to say about that. So one thing I just decided to do. I don't think I talked about this in a previous show. Stop me if I did. But so. I was talking to Colby about this about two weeks ago, and I said, I said, so how much of the stuff we did last year do you remember? He's like, I don't remember it very well. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I don't remember a lot of the series, convergence, divergence stuff, because you know, I haven't done it in a year. And that's the human brain. That happens to the human brain. You yeah. know, use something, use it or lose it. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's not good. You know, I mean, the rest of the calculus and trigonometry and algebra stuff is used continuously in the stuff they're doing, but the things that, you know, this, these, Taylor approximations and power series stuff that just is not used in this next particular subject um, or subject. So I talked to her in about that and I said, look, we got to, we need to integrate regular review every year. Especially when you get to high school, you have to be responsible for them reviewing everything that they've covered. You have to review pre-calculus, you have to review calculus. In the sophomore year, you need when you're doing differential equations and abstract algebra and discrete math, you still have to be reviewing linear algebra and vector analysis and all the other rest of the stuff. Like, we have to build it in. And he's like, oh, okay. I said, because the thing is, we have to play defense. Like, if someone says, okay, well, you know, these guys are doing this advanced math, but do they forget their trigonometry? I mean, how'd they do in the SAT math section? How'd they do in the math level two subject, right? I mean, that would be the skeptic, skeptical parent or the skeptical, you know, uh, board member whatever is going to ask those questions yeah and i said you know we are responsible for their mathematical education we're taking them from sixth through 12th grade seven years which means you know we have to think about these things and if if a kid forgets their trigonometry or forgets their you know tests of convergence and divergence or whatever it's like on us right I mean, that's our fault. And so, and what would really would come in is, you know, maybe they would forget some of their pre-calculus because they haven't covered some aspect of it on a, on a math level two subject exam, which is like a typical subject exam that high schoolers going to college might take, especially if you're in a mathematically oriented direction. If they don't crush that, we're going to look bad. And they're going to call into question what we're doing. If Further down the line, kids show up and we say, hey, you know, these kids have learned all this college math and, you know, they show up at XYZ University and they get in a situation where, you know, they're trying to negotiate with the math department to, to allow them to take 
these much more advanced courses because, hey, they've spent the last few years doing those courses. Well, what if that, you know, the, um, first of all, that's going to be a difficult conversation for an 18-year-old to have, right? And how, you know, some will be okay with that. Some will be like, I don't want to go talk to, I don't know what to do. So we need to give them, help them in that way. Yeah. So what if, but if that conversation does happen, you're a math professor, someone could say, oh, I know all this stuff. I want to take this graduate class. And you're like, yeah, kid. All right. And they're like, and so what you might do is say, okay, let's come to my office. Let me put some, let me put a couple, we'll do a couple problems on the board and see what you do. And then what if a kid goes like 0 for 3 or 0 for 5 and it's just like embarrassing because, hey, they haven't done it in three years. They did it, they did their sophomore year. So how does it work? How will you do that? So here's the thing. I'm a big fan of creating incentives, goals, getting great people, giving them some tools, but not forcing them to do things in an exact specific way. So I could say, well, you know, hey, this is how you should make at least two homeworks a week just review or 30 or 40% of your homework should be review every night or whatever. I would wrap because what they'll do is they will do that sometimes. A lot of times they won't because they'll have other sort of things on their mind. Like, oh, you know, we're working on this or whatever. But what I'd like to do is say, well, is, is have like a, some kind of a testing end of year test every year. Mm-hmm. And what we're really shooting for is the, is the GRE math subject exam. So it is the math test that undergraduate math majors take when they're applying to graduate school in math. Because they, and it covers, it covers the bulk of what an undergraduate math major should have learned. And usually as an undergraduate, you know, you're going to your senior year, you're going to spend some time reviewing for that and practicing for that test. It takes, a, it takes some work. Unless you've just managed to stay up on everything. I mean, maybe you just love math so much that you're just always doing that. But if you're not, like, you have to dedicate a lot of time to, uh, to doing that sort of thing. Um, so it's like, you know, what we should do is have our high school kids take that. Maybe their senior year, right? Not only could it be good for their application to college, say, hey, <laughs> I, I could have gotten your graduate program basically. But also it's like, you're armed with this hard data point, this objective measure. So when you walk in and talk to the math department, you say, you know, I would like to take these more advanced courses. And they're like, well, listen, kid, uh, you know, I don't know what you did at the high school level, but so blah, you mean blah. you actually take the actual real one. Mm-hmm. So then you'll then you'll in that conversation, you'll say, look, I already passed it. They, I, they have it. Like here, here's my test score. Yeah. Like I, you know, and they can, I mean, I've scored as well or a neighborhood of what your graduate students took to get in your program. So I should be able to take, you know, upper division courses or whatever. Um, And, but then I started thinking, you know, um, that would be, that's just like one test. What I'd rather do is prepare the kids for doing that. But what we'll do is every year, there'll be like a cumulative test that covers everything up to that point. Right. And it'll be like, and in some ways, we could make it harder than that test, more mm. in-depth. Maybe it's a two-day, two-parter where one part is like multiple choice, like that test, another half is just proofs and stuff. Yeah. And what we could do is make it kind of a big deal where we post a test online afterwards and the top scores are, you know, are given like some honors and stuff. Oh, like this solve stuff, yeah. Yeah, but no, but it's all like online, but it's just like, you know, but it's all online. They would take the test in class. Yeah. As, but but you'd say, okay, the top five scores and maybe we could even get like a sponsor for some, you know, scholarship, $500 in scholarship oh, money nice. or yeah. things like that. And these are our, you know, top fellows and these are our honorable mentions and these are, you know, our whatever first class, second class, or some kind of cool, thing. Cool, make where, it into a competition. Yeah, but you know, it's not like first, second, third, but anyone who scores above a certain point is a certain kind of level of honors yeah. or something. But then, and every year you have that list, so it's like you try and hit that. And then the instructors will be incentivized to say, hey, your kids are taking this. 
and then we will spend years. The other instructors, not in your class, will be the ones constructing that test, right? And we'll create, and then we'll have them create some practice tests through the year. Say, hey, these are the tests. These are the kind of problems. This is the kind of material where, based on the, based on what you said you're teaching this year and what we expect the kids to learn. And then, so we have multiple tests throughout the year that they can build towards it. And then we have the end of year. And then, then they're automatically prepared for the GRE subject exam. It's not like, okay, now we can do this three months of cramming because mm -hmm. you forgot yeah. everything. You've been doing this every year, <coughs> constantly reviewing. And you're prepared for all of these lower level high school exams. So when will they start taking the GRE? Like eighth, eighth grade or? No, no, no. GRE is, like, again, that covers all undergraduate math. So they'll be, it's more like the night. It's more what they would take as a, as a maybe at the, at the earliest, maybe a junior, if not a senior, in high okay. school, in, high, in high school. And it depends, kind of. I don't know. I don't know when the test is. Oh, I think it might be offered a couple times a year. So it just kind of depends. So you'll still have them when they're in high school. What do you, you mean? You'll still have the kids when they're in high school. I'm asking when. When are you going to start getting them to take that test? Oh, uh, oh, the year. So that test, we could. I would probably advise them to take it either. Maybe maybe they take it once their junior year. Just as a prep and then take it again their senior year or something like that. Or later, maybe you take it early in your senior year so you can have something to send off to college. Part of is it as another piece of information for so your like application. 15, huh? 15, 16. Well, you really don't know the U.S. education. No, no. You, gra you go to graduate high school around 18. Okay. Right. So, yeah, no, I'm, I don't think any English person really, really knows that. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's high school's four years and you graduate roughly 18. Okay. And so, 17, 18 kind of thing. Got it. So anyway, that's I think that's going to be my solution because it's going to be kind of more fun that they have to shoot for rather than say, okay, well, you have to review in this way. It's like, look, this is what it's going to look like. You will need to prepare your kids to do well on this. If they look, if you do poorly on this, that's going to look bad. At you. Their kids are going to get frustrated. You're not going to look great, right? Yeah. So that's cool. Now you haven't mentioned that before. Yeah. So I was just I was just thinking about that a couple of days ago. I went and talked to Haran about thing. I said the thing and then playing defense and I just start thinking, how are we going to do this in a way that's going to be more fun and, you know, I don't know. And then I, then I started having this idea for these. How's it working out with your reduced workforce? Um, good. So, you know, and I, I have some more math academy stuff I want to come back to, but I'll, so sure. I'll answer your question though. So, um, so yeah, we cut our burn in half. We had to get rid of, you know, I, I would say more, I'm I hopefully just putting a lot of people on pause for a while. I'm, I'm hoping that in six months we can start bringing some people back on once we have some revenue. But um, yeah, you know, we, we're really changing directions from this sort of like, hey, we have these this huge, these big subjects, algebra, geometry, trigonometry, calculus, multivariate, you know, linear, whatever. And we have tons and tons of content. We just need to generate content like like crazy. And so just start just blasting out stuff. Now it's much more a course-based approach. And we're starting with the lowest level courses and we're just doing one at a time. And um, a smaller team, it's a little easier to do because you really got to stay on top of them. Because this is like, this is the the, the fine-tuning. Like, you know, we we're talking about with coding and everything. Like yeah. This is the polishing. This is like, you made the, you, this has to be exactly right because if a course has problems in it, it's going to cause us a lot of pain. If all of a sudden there's missing topics or, I mean, there's a, we didn't realize this prerequisite wasn't covered. And because of that, this other topic makes it really hard. And a lot of kids are struggling and now parents are frustrated and, you know, like, how do you recover from that? You know, yeah. that's a fail. And so, um, so that's good. In fact, it's kind of funny. We're talking about the whole quick and dirty and everything. Mm -hmm. thing. So, so Alex 
who's the director of content, he, um, when I was talking about these old courses and I said, well, you know, you and I have to go over and read every tutorial and go for every single one. He was like, uh, really? You know? And I was like, yeah. And I, did I explain this on, on the previous show? No. So I said to him, I said, look, you know, here's the deal, you know, in software, this sort of, there was all this saying, especially back in the waterfall days, which is like, you know, you have phases, phases like requirements, design, implementation, testing, delivery, whatever. Every phase that a bug creeps past is 10 times more expensive to fix. So you want to get as much of that stuff sorted out as early as possible. So if we just say, hey, let's just get this course out there. Ah, you know, I think it's probably pretty good. <laughs> well, every problem you're going to hear about a huge number of times and everyone's going to result in probably a, an email chain of customer service and stuff and it's going to be very painful for you. And I'm just telling you right now, you don't want that because <laughs> you're going to be stressed and burned out and frustrated. What you want to do is go through the course with a fine tooth comb and be convinced that it's just what you want it to be, that you would be shocked if there are any problems. That's what you want to be. And so then he started going through it and recently, and he's just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's really important. It's really important that I did this. You know, because I, I, I had sent him the book by 37 Signals, Getting Real, you know, and some of that was just about getting something out there and all that importance of, you know, doing that sort of thing and getting in front of the customer, getting a real usable product. But, you know, he was taking that to heart a little too much. I said, you know, the key thing in, is getting people to love your product. And so you need to have it so that it works really well. Whatever it's supposed to do, it doesn't have to do everything. In fact, it may not do nearly as much as you'd like it to do, but what it does, it needs to do really well. Yeah. And people need to just love it. And that's not going to happen if you hand them like, you know, second draft material, not a final draft, mm -hmm. you know? So, but this all only works if you have a manageable team. If you have a big team and, you know, you have to like try and get everybody on the same page and you have to stay on top of everything, I think it's kind of hard. But we have, but we managed to create a ton of content. So now we're going back through and then just like knocking out individual courses yeah, from that you, material. So you've got this wellspring to kind of draw from. Yeah, I think, great. I think just from what we have, you know, it could be something like 30 to 40 courses. So are you any closer to sort of having a, a like a, a launch date for your first few courses? You know, I was hoping that we'd be able to do something in this month. I'm going to hope maybe towards the end of next month. I mean, yeah. it's, it's close. So right now, it's less about the software. It's more about the uh, content. Right, right. So we've gone through and we created our first two um, uh, courses. The first one is Algebra Preliminaries which is like the minimum that you need to know to do algebra. Like we assume you can add fractions and we assume just do some really basic fourth or fifth grade stuff, you know, stuff that nine and 10 year olds, we assume you're there, but that beyond that, this is just the stuff that you need to know. And then, and that's like, uh, you know, four or five weeks or something of, you know, not a lot of work. And then after that, it's out, it's uh, linear equations and inequalities, which is like sort of the first algebra stuff. I kind of have you in mind too, because oh, you're yeah. like, you're like, I want to use the first course. I'm like, yeah, right, could Justin algebra preliminaries? I'm like, I think this would be, I think he'd feel comfortable here. He'd be like, okay, I can do it. Yeah. You might need to give me a little brush up on the fractional stuff. Did you not add fractions? Well, I just had a really weird childhood. Um, I, know, in, I know, I know. In, in the time the of going to school, I, I, I think I do know how to, I mean, I, I, I if I said add two-thirds and one-fourth, could you do that? Actually, no. Not off the top of my head. Okay, so we need to do just a little brush up yeah. on that. But, yeah, so, yeah. Um, but I think it doesn't start much beyond that. 
The reason why that's difficult for me to do is because it's like it's two different paradigms. A thir thirds and four fourths are like I don't understand how to merge those two concepts. Yeah, you create a common denominator. It's <laughs> it's, it's yeah. I mean, I could I could teach okay, you that cool. in three minutes, but yeah. Um. So so yeah so that's really exciting. Seeing the courses come together and the fine you know sort of the fine tuning is really exciting. Um, and we're making a lot of we're making a lot of progress in the software as well. So um. What was it? So <laughs> speaking of fine tuning, so I had this, we have this thing, our question editor. So when you go and write a question or edit a question, let's think of it like a form, you know, you have the, the text and where you might define any graphics or whatever. And then you have like the, the correct choice and all the alternate incorrect choices and then a big solution explanation, right? And I was like, you know, I want this to be like a full screen. Like if you expand your screen, it kind of resizes and anchors things and it's really clean and slick as opposed to this sort of, fixed size thing, which you kind of have to scroll if you have a smaller screen, which just kind of sucked. And so I, I, I kind of did your thing. I, I go, you don't do that anymore. I drew it out. I got into like a paint program and I said, all right, this is what I want it to look like. Mm. And then I wrote a big GitHub issue and explained everything. And then I got back and I was just like, oh God, <laughs> I was just like, and he, he, he deployed it and people were thought it was broken like what's going on because it just was so messed up and i was like so he <sighs> built it according to the spec yeah and roughly you know looking <laughs> at it like you know pr approximately you know <laughs> yeah so i said you know i'm not going to create issues because they take i'm going to go into slack i'm saying number one do this number two this. there were 20 things that were wrong yeah 20 things he walked he, he i saw him log in he was just like wow so i'm like well and I said, look, man, I said, here's the thing. It's, it's the quality is all in the details. It's all in the details. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the UI is the user experience. That's what users use, not this code and, and, and underneath. It's what they see and how they interact. And that's all this, like, you know, how stuff is spaced, the margins, the relative size of the fonts, the how things move, you know, it's <laughs> important. It's extremely important. It's like you, you, UI empathy. You know, people need to have this UI. user empathy, which is your you, UI. It's how, yeah, it's yeah. like help them succeed, help but make it <clears> easy for them. Yeah, yeah. So he, um, it's a different way of looking at the UI. So, but I've been forcing myself. So my <laughs> biggest challenge for a long time was delegation. Yeah. I would, I would only do stuff myself. Now, obviously, I've had Steve along uh, the developer. No, I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. And so I finally, and even though it drives me crazy sometimes when I'm like, just do this, <clears throat> it's like. You know, it's like I forced myself I not to do it. Like I could go in and change all these styles and stuff, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just make him do it. Yeah. And but so that he learns how to do it. So he learns how to do it. But, but is he, he truly learning it? Well, well, what do you mean by learning it? Like, is he truly learning it? Like through sort of going, oh, I understand why there's space here. I understand why we're doing that way. I understand why we're showing this. Or is he just? Oh, I'm gonna do. I have to do these changes. I don't know because I, I, I've never, you know, I, I've never spoken to him. Oh, we only communicate over Slack. Okay. So effectively, he's a code bot. <laughs> so it doesn't even exist. <laughs> he's just a code bot, as far as I know. Right? I mean, it is. It'd be like working with a code bot. Now I told the code bot to do this, and it screwed this up. So I'm trying to specify to the code bot, like, no, look, you got to put more spacing here. So oh, like, that's difficult. Yeah, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's funny. I mean, you know, it's, but, you know, we're on issues. We're over 1,300 issues now on GitHub. 
So it yeah. shows you how I many. There's no way that I would have time to do all this. Yeah, yeah. This kind of, so okay. I just I forced myself to just say, you know, I have to ha- take a step step back and let him do it. Now, occasionally I'll go and I'll do some really key things, but I try and I'm trying to have him do it. So like I just had a couple other big, des- you know, kind of screen designs, and I'm like, look, match it to the pixel. Exactly. Otherwise, we're going to have as much fun as we did last time. You know, it's like just, you know, and I think he, I mean, he's like. How are you doing those screen designs? Are you using mock ups? No, I use uh, like a, it's like a Microsoft Paint knockoff on on, on the Mac. Okay. I'm not sophisticated enough to, I never really learned how to use like um, Photoshop or anything. And so I just need something, just a bitmap kind of thing where I can just cut and paste and draw lines and squares and fonts. And it's just, that usually gets me. Okay. Nine, you know, ninety-five. I wish there was. I, there was something called. It was called Paint Shop Pro. It was on the like fifteen, twenty years ago. It was like a, it's like yeah. a competitor to Photoshop yeah, back in yeah. days. And um, I, it had layers and it was more sophisticated than Paint, but it wasn't as complex as as Photoshop. Like that was great, but I don't have anything like that. So I have this crappy ass knockoff that crashes all the time. Uh, you should. I really recommend um, mock ups or Sketch. Yeah, Sketch is like the Mac, the Mac one. I mean, I don't use that, but a lot of people use it, and I know that's like the the industry standard, you know, for our, for our dev guys. And Sketch is sort of like a it's like a vector kind of a Photoshop. The vectors, I just want like a bitmap. But but vector stuff gets complicated to me. But just it. just like using mockups, oh man, that's the easiest. No, maybe I'll try that. Um, <laughs> although it's just one of those things that's like it's so fast. So what I do a lot of times, I take a screenshot. I just use the in Mac screenshots, I'll take a screenshot of whatever screen I'm looking at, and then I'll open up with a paint and I'll adjust stuff. Tweak it. I'll cut and paste, move stuff. Because you like the colors and the yeah. fonts and the words. They're already there. I just need to kind of change things or have elements somewhere else I can borrow and I can just... But you have around. that. Like once you've done one one mock-up in mock-ups, then you've got that screen. You can just click duplicate and then you can just drag things around. It's actually faster. It probably is. So um, you would you so use my, you haven't used Sketch. You just use mock-ups. I've just, I just use mock-ups. But you've what? had your eye on Sketch. I've just... I've just observe that other other people use sketch i i would say sketch would be harder than mock-ups like mock-ups we should just do a couple of sessions okay you know yeah yeah i mean yeah it's, it's i'd be fastest. interested because i mean i'm not like thrilled with using whatever yeah. paintbrush or whatever the hell this program is well, use, but what's but... great about it is is because it is html it's it, that it's drawing in it's it's exactly what 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 it's going to end up looking like so it's super easy to just do the styles because you can sort of see you know when you add a drop shadow it's like yeah Okay, the drop shadow amount should be zero point two because that's what's in the UI right there. That's mockups. Okay. Yeah, that's mockups. Yeah. yeah, I should upgrade my skills in that area. That's for sure. But um, anyway, but, I uh, uh, yeah, that's cool. So, so that, he's so he's um he's a he's a code. That's that's just a really interesting concept, you know. Having a code, that, having a remote coder that you don't communicate with. Yeah, but it's just it's just interesting that there's never been any sort of. Like the level of, um, you know, he could be truly, he truly could be code. You know, he could be a, an mm-hmm. automated thing, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the fullness of time, like that's going to exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's our, here's our, here's our workflow. <laughs> yeah. So what I do, I make sure the night before that I have some issues queued up on GitHub. You know, I have a bunch of to do, basically to do items, right? And then I'll log, and then I'll go into Slack, which is like always open on my computer, you know, our phone, and I'll say, hey, Here's the priority, uh, 1297, 1282, 1263. After that, take any of them past 1250. I don't care. Up to you. Um, and then he'll log in around 1130 my time, 
specific time and he'll say hey just got my, my workstation okay i'll jump on this you know cool and then i'll wake up or gain consciousness at some point and i'll just like he's lying in bed just kind of and i'll log into slack and i'll say uh, or I'll open slack and i'll say so how's it going and he'll be like oh i you know fixed this and this and uh, i deployed that and i and i addressed a couple of issues that were posted on the software we have a software channel which is where all our what time will that be for him no for you you know, that could be as early as 5.36 in the morning. It could be <laughs> as late as 8. So you're opening your eyes and you're like in the zone. You're in the work zone. Well, I mean, want every to see, day. Well, because I go to bed excited because it's a little bit of a Christmas present every day. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas present every day. <laughs> I wanted things done and I wake up and I see what my code bot has built for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I'm really happy and other times I'm a little disappointed, but you know, at the very least, stuff progress is made. I mean, more often than not, things work or, or get done. It's more when it's UI stuff that I get, I get a little annoyed because he's not a UI guy like most developers. Yeah, you know, and 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 as I think somebody commented on the podcast, like, look, you know, finding a developer who has UI sense or has, you know is is just you know they're rare. Yeah. So don't expect that, and it's an unreasonable thing to expect. So I, I don't expect that. But anyway, so I check around that time. So I was going. <laughs> He'll usually respond with, oh, yeah, I did this, this, respond to some bugs in the software channel. Because you know, we have a software channel, which is what all the um, our content developers, they run into something. Yeah. And they start complaining about stuff. Because I always tell them, like, jump on that. If something is broken or keeping them, repeating them from getting stuff done, you need to just stop what we're doing and fix those and deploy it. And then, um, and uh, call those showstoppers. If they showstoppers, you jump on them. And then, uh, you know, get up, have breakfast, get ready, kind of come down, sit on the computer and... You know, I'm anywhere between eight to nine, and usually that means an hour to an hour and a half while he's still working, and then I can kind of, you know, I'll, then I can, he's deployed some stuff, so I can usually go, oh, hey, whoa, 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 you got to fix this thing quick. This isn't right, or you know, a little bit of interactivity around then, and then he's around nine, nine thirty is when he's like, all right, I'm heading out for the day, and then, and then he'll give me a, <coughs> then he'll, and then I always ask him, he writes a quick synopsis of what he says, like, all right, so I did this, this, and this. This is seventy percent done. I'll jump on that tomorrow on this, and please answer my other I, I posed a couple questions earlier about these other issues i'm not exactly so you've got one dev then yeah what would it be like to scale to two devs well you know i tried to hire a second guy and i think i talked about this and it was a real disappointment like i thought uh, you know and i don't know i think the problem is that um you know it's better for me to just have one guy because I have to, I'm still not sure about everything that I want. And so we just have to go, he's just a little bit ahead of me. Like I'm a little bit ahead of him mentally in terms of like, I, my vision of what I want done is just like a week ahead of what he's doing or two weeks ahead. It's like, I can't say, well, I have this roadmap. We're going to build all this stuff. And I've sat down with designers <laughs> and product people. and We've designed 30 screens and all, like, no, it's just like, okay, I think this is what we're going to do next. I think this is what we're going to do next after that. And so, you know, and I have these things kind of playing around in my mind, you know, kind of, um, uh, you're living on the edge. It's like emergent reality. Yeah. And so I just, and so, you know, some of the stuff I have him do is just bug fixes. Some of it's, a lot of it's, you know, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes I'll just run out of stuff because I, or I'll just be like, God, I just don't know what I do. You know, like, um, Hitton Shah just uh, released a, bl a blog post about how he stopped um, Kiss Metrics from becoming a billion dollar company by doing what you just described right now. Yeah. Oh, why? Um, 
Oh, is that the uh, my billion dollar mistake? Yeah, I yeah. saw that title. I didn't know he wrote that. I just yeah, remember that. Yeah, great. It was a great post, and it was just it was just that um, he was sort of so kind of focused on just directing things and thinking of great new things and like you know doing the direction like and and setting everyone down a path and like they called them hitting bombs, hitting okay. bombs, you know, and um, so all the developers would try and do the new thing, you know, the next thing. And, you know, he sort of realized retrospectively, he should have sort of focused on core competency, competency, competencies, and like just double downed on that. And, you know, like marketing and talking to customers and finding out what customers wanted. But I'm not saying that what you're doing yeah, is wrong. Like, really you're not, not the same thing. You're at not all. at that level. You're not at that level. No, it's really not it. the same thing at all. I mean, it's like, he's, I, I don't think those are the same things. Sure. Um, I think, because a lot of what I'm building it's the product concept is evolving a little bit as we fine tune it. And I just, you know, I'm just constantly reprioritizing what's the most important thing for us to do today. What is the most important thing? You're still not in the marketplace yet. So that's right. Well, I have, we have, you know, 115 users. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. You know, I have, I have, you know, three instructors teaching X number of classes. I have bridge course students. So I have a lot of people using the product every day. And the people who, but how how many people are doing content right now? 15? Well, less, yeah, something like that. That's about 25. So we have a big content team, editors, So they're still editors, your customers writers. in theory. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. users yeah. who are yeah. using this stuff for hours every day yeah. and for months. So it's a very, it's a highly used product. Okay. It's just Fair like, enough. yeah, do I have paying customers for the, you know, yeah, no. Um, so, so yeah, you know, and I get, I mean, I get constant um, uh, feature requests. From Alex, from the constructors, from kids. So Alex is when he's like, hey, you know, like one of the things we just added, he's like, it'd be great for each question if we knew, like, how many kids, how many answers there have been to this question and how, what's the percentage that they got right? Like, how hard is this question? If everyone misses question, <laughs> you know, that's a problem. Or like if it's like a, you know, or if we, because we rank questions in terms of EWE for a particular topic as easy, medium, or difficult. So we know how to scale. Your first problem we're going to give you is, is going to be an easy one, right? Let's yeah. build up. Well, if 40, only forty percent of kids are getting it right, like that's not an easy problem. Maybe we need to maybe we need to rank that as a hard problem. Um, and we also need to know, like how long is it taking kids to do this problem? So he wanted that, and so it's like you know we just had to build that out in the UI. And then he's like, you know, it we we have a lot of questions we've had to delete because they were just too hard. They were too hard. They were too involved. They they pulled in information from a topic that isn't a prerequisite. And so we had to delete it so that we didn't get fed into other to assignments to their kids. He's like, but some of those questions are really good. We just need to rethink them or use them. And so he's like, it'd be great if we could see deleted questions, right? <laughs> so this whole thing. So then we, you know, that's the thing I'm having build around, be able to toggle on deleted questions or not, restore them or move, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's that, I just told you about this whole you know, auto resizing to edit questions. Are you using a, an ORM or are you doing it all? It was an ORM. Yeah. Um, it's um, Next, K-N-E-X. Or oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I initially wrote it without an ORM. Does it have uh, soft deletes or, um, or you're we, adding that to it? I just have a deleted Got it, equals yeah. one kind of com. So we have soft yeah. deletes for, if a question has been written as an accepted and you delete it, it's a soft delete. If it's like in draft mode, delete it, like just, that's yeah. just a waste. I mean, it's just crap. But um, yeah, you know, anyway, there, there's, there's a lot of things that 
I need to do to build for the content team more productive. Yeah. Make more effective content. Like I like here's another one. Like when we had a, you go into a topic and have a list of 25 questions. It was think of it as like oh, it almost looks like a Gmail interface, right? And you could expand a question and look at it. Yeah. But you can see it. And then you go, oh, I want to edit this question. And what it would do is it would load the question editor. And then when you're done it, it would go and reload that page, which was slow. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, we, we need to improve the performance. And that was like three seconds or something. One, two, three. So, okay, <laughs> you need to go and edit. Like 20 of these questions are, re- are phrased slightly incorrectly because, hey, this person lives in Venezuela and, you know, may, might occasionally say something not how a native English speaker would say it. Like, that's really painful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I was like, you know, and because I would see problems and questions. I'm like, damn it, that is phrased awkwardly. We need to fix all those. And if it was quick enough, I could just sit there and do it in three minutes. Yeah. If I could go bing, 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 fix, 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 fix. But it was too painful, so I just wouldn't do it. And I'd be <laughs> like, all right. Uh, and eventually I'd say, Alex, I'd say, hey, man, you need to do this. And now it's a thing. And so I said, you know, rather than loading a page, let's just have a full screen popover. It takes over the whole screen. I kind of thought of it as like how the Google Calendar works, you oh, know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and that's what we did. And now it's going to be way easier for people to make tons of these little fixes. And, when and is the, that the pop-up you were just talking about before? Yeah. yeah. And because when you are in um, a refinement phase, you need to do a lot of that. And so the, so the content's already kind of in the DOM then. So it's just like you're opening this pop-up. You don't have to go to the server. Yeah. It's just like... Boom, so now right it's really there. fast. I mean, I yeah. can I can even show you, and it's I think it's, cool. it looks really good now. Yeah, nice. Um, and uh, but so that's just then. Then I get an email from Haran, and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> for what would be really great would be if we could have if I could give in class tests on their Chromebooks because all the kids have Chromebooks that gives a start time and an end time, and whether I could ha- extend the time for kids who have like I think it's like an EIP or something. So kids who have learning disabilities get extra time." So for individual kids, I could give them an extra, extend their time. And I could specify whether they get to see their score right away or not on the solutions or see it later. And I could, it would allow them not to see the content while they're doing that, right? So, and some of that stuff we actually already been working on. But I mean, like, right, these are... So how many of these a week are you getting? Oh, it depends. I mean, sometimes in a couple of weeks and I don't really hear much from people. Sometimes I have to query them, like anything you guys need, anything. Or I kind of know what things they'd love if I just could get around to getting it. And like what Haran just specified, like two thirds of the things that were actually already been built or are in process building. Yeah. But it was just saying like, we have user needs. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have lots of things that are directing. And, and you know, the, the direction for the system isn't just to build online self-paced courses or whatever i i would ultimately like to like high schools middle schools and universities to be able to use this so if you're teaching you know business calculus or pre or college algebra in, in your junior college and you got three sections of 80 kids mm-hmm. you know you could do all this stuff online you don't have to have all these graders no stuff manually you have this system that you can do all that stuff and so would they be putting in their own content and questions no i i really would like to have it just our con- but we have so much it. content they don't have to the, worry about they it they don't have to worry about it yeah like you're teaching you're teaching pre-calculus and like we have fifteen thousand pre-calculus because we have every topic covered from every angle Jeez. it's like you know we have multiple choice we have free response you know it's just click 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 boom you see everybody's weaknesses everybody did you can control everything you have tests you give assignments you can do whatever it's gonna you want. be amazing yeah, you know, when I, and I think I might have mentioned this before, when I have this couple of candidates and instru- candidate instructors come out and they saw it, they were just like, holy 
crap. Like this would corner the market. It's so much better. What we I use. know. Well, I can't wait till you release it to eight Hacker News. Like it's going to be like, <laughs> remember there was that one that was on Hacker yeah, News and, and it, it was like, there for like a, two days or something. And it was just like these little tutorials or something. Yeah. Like, you're like, that's it? Like, <laughs> it's like, please, wow. this so is going to be. I hope so. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're, I, I, that's the thing that I mentioned before. What's a little complicated because, you know, I'm serving two masters. Right. You know, I have two, it's going to be two different use cases. Um, but we really can't, it's, it's going to take time before you can sell it to high schools and colleges. That, that's a lot. Those are enterprise sales cycles. It's going to have yeah, to be kind yeah. of a, I think, uh, it, it's not addressable at this level. But what we can do is have the online courses, generate enough revenue, really fine-tune content. And then you can go go, go to Pasadena City College and talk to me in the math department and say, hey, I'd like you guys, a few of your sections beta test this. Mm. And I know a couple of the instructors and get like, four, you know, a few of them say, my friend who teaches at City College, City University of New York, Cooney, and he teaches math classes there. I'm like, hey, why don't you try this out? Why don't you get a few of your instructors, you know, and then kind of start Exciting. getting That's into cool. that. Um, and I th that may even be a better market in the end, you know, because... Um, God, think about how many colleges there are around the world. There's a lot. And there's a lot of people taking... I mean, it'd be, hard, it'd be harder and harder to do this for like really upper division stuff because it's so proof oriented. Right. You know, but most people in college, when they're taking math, they're not taking abstract algebra. They're taking intermediate algebra, college algebra, pre-calculus, calculus for business majors, basic linear algebra and application. I mean, you know, pretty stuff that's kind of like, we're just giving you the basic tools and techniques to use to do these for these other things that you want to do. It'd be cool. It's so, going to be big. But um, the thing I wanted to say, well, let me shift down. Oh, you know, on that topic. So, so, you know, this is something that would be interested in a little technical brainstorm. Sure. Here. I think I have it this morning, but I want to get your opinion on it. So, one thing Haran said that in his request was like, I want them not to be able to see tutorials on the website when they're taking the test, right? Now, the problem is if I make tutorials available, like because of the content strategy, like all tutorials are kind of search, you know, kind of for yeah. SEO purposes, then they don't have to be logged in. Yeah. They can still see it, right? And you can't really track IP addresses because, you know, they begin some kind of dynamic IP allocation thing. Uh-huh. So what I was thinking about is like when they take the test, it has to go into full screen mode. And I can detect, I was just looking on, on uh, Stack Overflow, you can detect if, if the screen is in, 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 full screen, in full screen. Yeah. And you can also detect where it's active window. So you can have a test. So if they click off the active window or it's not full screen, it could notify the system immediately and show up on the instructor's thing. It's like this kid is off. But you thing. can't. Tell if they're in another computer. That's just a well. Look, I can't tell if you're using it on your if your yeah, MacBook, but yeah. if you're sitting in a classroom, yeah, and we can at least make sure like this is your full screen and you're not on their tab. Does that sound like a good a good solution? Yeah, that does. I think that's pretty reasonable. And it, the both both of them are like two, each of them are like so. That's two, like one. the when you're watching a video and it kind of goes into full screen mode. That's like a JavaScript thing you can do, right? Yeah, you just yeah, okay, got it. Put it in full screen mode yeah. and. Um, so when you start test, there's a full screen mode and there'll be warning, like, you know, your test will be paused and instructor alerted if you, if you leave. So if they, if they do leave, then what, are they penalized or? Well, I think what it'll do is it'll just notify the instructor. Because the instructor, oh, can instructor. Be he can be seeing, he can see, he can have up on his, when he says, you know, has the test, he can see yeah. everybody's results, this kid, how many each kid has done so far, how they're doing. And that's real time for the instructor? Yeah. Oh, wow. And we haven't done it yet, but that'd be easy to do. Yeah, that's so that that's and because the whole thing's in Node anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the whole thing will just 
you have a web socket or whatever, I just put yeah. all this stuff feeding into it. And then, you know, you could have like instead of a little sound like bong, bonk, some kid is off. And it looks over like George is off the thing. You walk over to George and say, George, uh, what are you doing? Like you're off of it. You know, like once the kids know that you that they are in some sense being monitored, that you're you're yeah. you're ninety nine percent fine. There's always gonna be some kid who's gonna cheat try and cheat off his phone. And that's why essentially you have to as a in a high school setting or whatever, you have to walk around and just kind of let the kids know you're keeping an eye on things. Could you put, is there any way that you could sort of put things in, if, that if they copy pasted from the tutorial, somehow it would alert the system and the system would know that they had just well, it's copy pasted choice, it? So oh, nothing. Yeah, most you could do that. I mean, I could do free answer, but if the paste in there, you could cut off pasting in, um, in the free response for sure. But if if it's full screen and it detects if they lose it, then it would, the only way they could be able to see anything is if they were on another computer. Just thinking long term. Okay, you could use heuristics. So basically, if they answer it within a certain period of time and there's a kind of a timing pattern about how they click them mm-hmm. versus how they look at them, then you're like, yeah. Well, I did that already because I we I, we, we track elapsed time. Okay. On every time he answers. So when I check I, the other day, I saw a kid and he like get hit or five seconds of question. And I was like. That's and you got them all right. That's really amazing. How'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, I um, to- and how did it happen? Well, <laughs> he was talking to another kid. I gave a warning, and I said, if I see it again, I'm going to tell the instructor. Interesting. I'm going to because I just happened to see it because I was just looking through systems. Because stuff. you shouldn't. It it should never take five seconds to solve a problem. No, I mean these, these questions take ten minutes. These are really questions that were big. You know, so. Okay. Anyway, and I, I would always check in my class. I'd always check because I have an activity monitor. I can see every question. Everyone's asked kind of infinite scroll, and I could see all the questions they're doing and and how long, who did it, where they got it right or wrong, how but, long they took. And so when I see questions that are like wrong, 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 and it's like they didn't take any time, it's like they're just clicking. What are you doing? Okay, so, the fi- so the, it took five seconds, but they didn't get it right. Right, and that could be, well, if they, if they took five seconds to get it wrong, it de- unless it's, okay, if they took no time at all and they got it right and it should have taken them minutes, they're probably cheating, if, 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 especially if there's multiple in a row. Okay, if, yeah. If they're just taking if they're taking a short amount of time, a lot of these things, and they do most of them wrong, they're just like not worried about getting it wrong. They're just trying to get it done. Mom said, "Do finish your stuff before you go," and the kid just goes and does it. And and if if that particular instructor is not really using homework as a as a grading for grading, and they're just then you know some kids incentivized maybe to do that. So that's why an instructor you kind of can keep an eye on that. Well. So can you plug that into the alert system that you just dis- discussed? You could. You could. Like, you could have heuristics at warn. You could. But I think... Because that, that seems to me to be more like um, you're going to get... You're, you're going to catch them. Robust. Yeah. You could. Yeah, maybe you could do a heuristic. Although I think I think the first solution will be like 95%. Okay. 98, 99%. It gives us most of the way there without any headache, any code development. Most of things are like, you know dozen lines of code if we implement this thing okay maybe more than that but i mean <laughs> not much right yeah um yeah anyway that's all cool that's cool man so the other thing that happened yesterday we had uh, one of the um a foundation i, I don't I won't get in their name or anything but it was like it's a it's a it's a foundation i think they're based out of uh, northern california mm. and they've given us grants for the last couple of years and they they uh, fund primarily caltech mm. But they they were really impressed when they saw our kids in seventh grade doing calculus, and they wrote us a, b- a big check, much bigger than we expected. 
and they've done the last two years. And so they wanted to come down and see Heren's class because that was this original group. And so we went and met, met with them, or two of the representatives, plus um, uh, this lady who's, who's sort of the one who said every, facilitated the whole thing. She, she's the executive director for the Pasadena Community Foundation, which is one of our fiscal sponsors. They, they're sort of like, a, like a, a meta nonprofit. They help fund and all these nonprofits around Pasadena. They yeah. do all kinds of things, women's shelter, you know, children, health, yeah. education, everything. And we're one of their sort of children. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. one of the people they, one of their, uh, the nonprofits that they help. Uh-huh. And she's, she's just awesome, um, amazing lady. And um, so she, uh, she, she accompanied the two. Um, now, so when that money comes in, you can't use that money for building software. No, no, no. I, those are completely separate. Right. The software is 100% owned by me. And I did that on purpose. Because like, if I'm going to make this a commercial product, I can't muddy the waters. I yeah. can't take money from anything else. And this is just way, way more expensive. And you know, if somebody gives, oh, well, we put $50,000 on thing, it's like, okay, that's like not a substantial amount of money. You know what I mean? Like, now you're, I don't know. Anyway, no, so, they're separate. So how does it work? So, but, but the content developers are creating content that are being used by the kids yeah it's just donate you can think of it being donated by the roberts foundation so you're donating that to the kids got you it you could say that this yeah. is all something i built that it, the math academy will always have free access to this so so the so the money that is being donated to math academy is being used for paying, paying instructors. instructors primarily paying instructors and things of that nature got it got yeah it. i would say probably 90 80 percent of it or 90 percent of it is that and then our tas you know are paid and our math practice. is it like a headache do you have to do the um like the accounting like is it a headache no, doing that how no, does that so work? we have two fiscal sponsors the pasadena community foundation and the pasadena educational foundation yeah and um i i can't remember which each one would kind of each have like accounts for math academy and they each sort of pay for different things different mm. types of things sandy is the one who really sort of interfaces with them about all this stuff um because she's on the board of Passing Education Foundation, right? Got and it. So, but, so, and so they pay for instructors. Yeah. So then what happens is like the money, the grants. So we have grants and donate going into both of those two uh, places. To, uh, pay PCF and PEF. And then they in turn might pay the school district. They give money to the school district to pay the salaries, right? Or they might pay for um, TA, you know, when our TAs give us their monthly invoice, how many hours they were TA sessions or they were subbing for us or mm. whatever. And so we pay them, pay for all that kind of stuff. Mm. Or like we just had to write reimbursement checks for all the candidate instructors. So I gave each one of them a $1,000 travel voucher to come out and spend a couple of days with us. And so I had to reimburse them. And so I had to collect all their stuff and send it on to PEF. And then they have to cut checks and do all that stuff. So Sandy and I, we don't have a... Um, we don't actually have an entity. Math Academy is not a nonprofit. It's sort of unincorporated at this point. Mm. And the reason we kind of hesitated on that is because we couldn't get the name we wanted. And we just kept hesitating. And now I'm just sort of like, I don't, at this point, I don't know if we need to worry about it until, like, let's worry about it when we need to worry about it. Yeah. I mean, right now, people can donate to us and it just goes straight to PCF, which then puts it in the Math Academy account. Cool. You know, like, why? <clears throat> um, so is that all the Math Academy stuff? Well, I was just going to say, so those guys came in. Okay, and right. was watching these kids doing vector analysis stuff, and it was it was incredible, right? Like you get in there, they're just like blown away. <laughs> and I said, and that, and they were like, yeah, you know. And I said, these are just the five kids. Our next class coming in is going to be at least eighty-two. <laughs> 
I was like, can you imagine? I said, because one of the guys was talking, he said something about the audacious goal. He used that same kind of thing. I'm like, wow, that was the term we used to always use. And I was like, yeah. I said, this is, I was like, if we could have 50, I mean, imagine 80 kids graduate from a school district with a with that much mathematical knowledge, then it just shows that it's not just, wow, we have this great educational program in the U.S. I mean, in, in the Pasadena Unified School District, we've demonstrated that we're leaving so much untapped potential for all these kids across the U.S. Across America, yeah. I, I'm just, I was just going to say that the crazy thing is that is going to happen is math academy kids are going to dominate universities across the country. Well, <laughs> well, there are a lot of smart kids out there. So who, I mean, if when you take the whole country, yeah, there are a lot of. You but know, it's going to be disproportionate. Project. It's going to be. It's going to be like what? What's going on? This is weird. Like, why do I have all these Pasadena kids? Yeah, it will be. <laughs> we hit a point where it's like. You know, maybe maybe some local university like UCLA or Berkeley when they have like a bunch of kids and they get and they get like one professor's teaching some upper division course and like a bunch of the math academy kids all go to Berkeley because Berkeley is one of the top yeah. math and science yeah. schools in the country. And they go up there and they are all taking one class and the guy's like, What <laughs> <laughs> this, this is I got these three freshmen of my graduate uh, I was abstract algebra course or something, and like you guys, like where'd you guys come? Where'd you kids come from? Like, oh, we came with this public high school in Pasadena. Like, that kind of stuff will happen here and there, and then yeah. it'll be just they're weird. They're gonna be like, that's like really strange, but really <laughs> cool. They'll get really excited and like, wow, I'm gonna get. And then I, the next year, I got like four of them. Like, oh man, yeah, okay, yeah, I know these math academy kids are great. And then, but it does prove the overall concept. And and then what happens if it gets rolled out across America, and all of a sudden there's thousands of kids like that. I just like that we changes. Just, we just leveled up. We just leveled yeah. up life. You know, yeah. we just like what happens when, you know, people are fundamentally better. A large number of people are fundamentally better educated and really important critical skills. I mean, I don't know. I mean, moving the world is a big, is a hard thing to do in any level. I mean, how do you really change the world? I mean, but, you know, it's again, what I just like to think about it for starters is changing one kid's life. That's enough. Mm-hmm. You change one kid's life fundamentally, like you've 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 made an impact, you've made a difference. That's something to feel good about. Well, you've already done that, so. So if you do that to <laughs> three hundred kids or five hundred kids, I mean, if you sit there and go, "Wow, you know, there's a dozen kids who I just changed their lives. I made their lives so much better. I give them so many more options. I give them so much." Okay, now I've done that to hundreds and hundreds or thousands of kids. So that's I think I try and think of it more on that level in some ways, just because it's so hard to go. Well, how <laughs> change the world is so. Yeah. But, you know, it's all things, it's like big things have small beginnings. You know, you got to start somewhere. Uh-huh. You got to start. Well, it's not small anymore. <laughs> it's, it's small comparatively it's to America, but it's not small, you know, like 80 kids. You know, that's kids, a lot. That'll be good. At so, that, working at that level. You know, and the thing is, too, one thing I was worried, I was like, geez, there are all these kids at the same level. But the, the lady at the district who qualifies a kid, she's pretty stingy with requirements. Mm. She's more on the, like... You know, you declare her bar like she's placed a little conservatively. She's not like, hey, everybody's in. You like math? You're in. She's like, nope. Not my like, well, couldn't this kid be in? I'm like, nope. They didn't yeah. score well off. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, like I'm more like, well, you, you know. You want to bring him in. Give well, him a chance. Give him a chance, man. I'm a little, maybe I'm a little more optimistic. Maybe I'm naive. I, I don't know. I, I Maybe I think there are kids who can do it who can't. Um, but she's going to be held accountable for putting kids in classes where they can't succeed. She knows yeah. they, they have been through that, put kids in honors classes and they really belong there. Do all kind, there's, 
you know, they've done this for a long time. And so they have scar tissue from that. They're like, look, it's not all roses, just putting kids in advanced classes and like everybody succeed. Like yeah. you have to be thoughtful about that. And so they play it conservatively, <laughs> you know, and there's been a few times where I had to really try and push for a kid or two. I mean, they mostly lost, <laughs> but you know, I'm like, yeah, I really think this kid should be in. It's going to be interesting, like moving that to other districts around the country, like all this learning is going to have to be in it somehow you're going to have to have like a, a district math academy pack like so, so how so, to <laughs> so funny you say that this morning what got me thinking about it i was in the shower and i was just thinking about like you know because we're we're making an offer to three instructors candidates did i tell you about that yeah i think so yeah so three instructor candidates we're, we're going to be sending offers to three of them and i was like i need to write like a sort of a getting started guide like, you know, I've talked to them a ton about it. They've seen classes. They've heard me go on and on. But I've got to put it down on paper. And I initially wrote some stuff for Hren a few years ago, which, you know, was kind of rough. And I, <laughs> and I said, and I've talked about it so much now that I just kind of know what it needs. I've done it. I've talked about it. I've seen the problems when people don't do it. Um, but I, and I actually the name for it, which is what I call it anyway. It's called the Math Academy Way. Right. You know, because I say when someone isn't doing it, I'm like, that's not the Math Academy Way. Yeah. It's like the Math Academy way. And they go on, it's like we have two primary goal objectives. Kids, kids, make the kids great at math, make them love math. If you fail at either one, we failed. And then it's all in service of those two objectives, you know, maximizing those two. And then you just kind of, here's all the ways you maximize those things. And so we go through all the kind of. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking about founder first. It's like a way of life. It's a way. Thank you the for that. I'm going to think about that. That the way it's, of the founder. The way, yeah. It's like <laughs> it's a way, yeah. It's it's a way because it's not just knowledge. It's just a way of being. Yeah. Um, way of doing things. It's just mm. the way of doing. And, and and I think you have to um. You have to kind of have these core principles. I think helps you helps you. I think if you have like core principles, it makes you uh, have a clear um, a, a clear voice, a clear uh, message. If you're just like, well, it's just a collection of things a collection of heuristics, a collection of good practices. Like, what are those practices based on? If you can boil it down to, you know, something simple. Me mental models, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, mental models. But, but like, one, like, what is... So, like, for math camp, like I said, make them great at math, make them love math. Both. That's what we're doing. And so whenever you're asking, should I give more tests or less math? Okay, does it make them better at math? Okay, <laughs> yeah, does it make... But it makes them hate math. Okay, so now you have to balance those two. Yeah. Kids don't like too much testing, it's stressful. You know, do do doing problems in class that make them better at math? Yeah, those are good things. So always look at those things and always ask yourself, go back to first principles, go, okay, why are you giving a test? What what what's your purpose? Why are you giving this test? Make them better Am at I math? giving a test? Make them love math. Like, okay. I love that way of thinking. It's really great. It's like a state machine. It's like you're <laughs> just sort of locking locking in this reality and they have to look through that lens. Yeah, it just brings you back. It's like the golden rule or something. It's like if you ever get confused, because it's easy to get confused about things. This world is complicated, and there's lots of special considerations, and the context is always different. And you can always kind of, and smart people can rationalize and doing anything pretty much to, for pain avoidance of some kind. And the next thing you know, they do something weird. You're like, why are you doing that? You know, and you're like, go back to the first, the Math Academy core principles, the core, yeah. the goals of Math Academy, and um, you know, and I think if if we want to maintain the, the the culture and the standards and all that kind of stuff, I think you boiling it down to you know 
a philosophy and a set of practices and written down. That's such it- a great way of looking at it. Do you mind if I like steal that? I, I just think that's really, really exactly what I need as well. Okay. Like sure. what the what like and I need to to come up with my two things. Or, or it could be three yeah. or one. Yeah. I mean, obviously you could do one, it'd be easier. In my case, it's two things, but you mm-hmm. just what you want to do is get it down to something really simple that you can always go back to. What is it you're trying to do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you know, I you know, like I said, the testing thing, I was just thinking about in the beginning. It's like, okay, um, you're giving a test to a kids because, well, you need to, you need some way of giving a grade because the school expects a grade. You have to give a grade for your class. This isn't like some private school that has some special thing where we don't give grades or whatever. Okay. You have to give a grade and parents need to know how their kid is doing. Okay. So you do that. So you have to give a grade. Um, tests are one way to, you know, get, get a grade. Okay. I gave you some tests. Doesn't have to be. You don't have to give any tests. You could give grades on homework and projects, class participation. Um, the thing is, one reason you give tests is to assess and find how well kids know stuff or, or don't know it. Are they, are they learning this or not? And if you have other ways of assessing it, because the kids are in there doing problems all day and you know how well they know it, then maybe you don't have to do that as much. Tests. Most kids do not really enjoy taking tests. Some kids like it when they're really, really good at it. You know, they mind doing it. But a lot of kids it stresses them out. So you always have to be anyway. But if you go back and say, "How many tests should I give?" Probably as few tests as you can. <laughs> yeah. To get the, the minimum, ass- get the grades, minimum. to get the assessment, but not to create too much stress. And you know, but if you have too many, if you have too few tests, then it becomes too high. Each test is too high stakes. Like your entire grade is dependent on one test. That's stressful. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So then, do I do I give tests every week? Okay, that sounds really stressful. <laughs> like, okay, so what do we do? So we always go back and figure out you know, what's helping them learn, become great at math, and what's having them enjoy it. All right, so what you got then? Oh, uh, well, I, you... <laughs> I already said it. You just want me to come up with something? No, no, I, right. I, I've, I, I, I've I, been talking on Hacker News uh, a little bit recently. Yeah, you've been a chatterbox? A few different oh. things. Um, yeah, there was uh, something about Uber that came up the other day. Uber, uh, can Uber ever make money? Mm-hmm. And... Um, they, someone had said, you know, with huge barriers to entry that requires a ton of money to get started. They, they were sort of talking about, I don't, you know, I don't understand how these, how these businesses can even exist. Like with all these huge, you know, these huge barriers to entry, like how do they, how do they come about? And I posted, well, just to, just to note that, uh, you know, Uber proof of concept was like, you know, just like an app and a single PHP page and like, just tested with like a couple of Travis's friends. Actually, if you want to hear the blow by blow, go and check out our podcast. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> Jason was employee number seven. And uh it was and that, an employee. Oh, okay. Well, person number seven. Anyway, they got that that got a few responses and a few people were like like uh well man, you've got three hundred episodes. Wh- wh- which episode is it? <laughs> I was hey. like, uh it's not really like that. It's like <laughs> you know probably starts at episode 90 or something and you need to listen to a lot of them oh geez um but uh yeah that that was one thing um yeah, yeah the whole that whole i hear that a lot about the making money but people complain about that amazon i mean what they're doing is they're just putting all their money into growth and they know so there's this there's a sort of naive belief by people who are not in these companies that these that uber couldn't raise their prices a little bit and make money okay Uber and Lyft could both raise their prices a little bit 
and start making money. Now they can they are both kind of in this sort of cutthroat thing where they're keeping prices down because they're in this sort of price war, which is stupid because Uber had a chance to buy Lyft twice and didn't do it, which was a horrible mistake, I think. Huh. But um, you know, like if you pay twelve dollars to get somewhere versus fifteen or fourteen, most people are going to be like, yeah, whatever. I mean, that's like the Coke and Pepsi story, right? Coke Coke had a couple of chances to buy Pepsi. Yeah, and they were just like, no. Yeah, for it. yeah, it's sort of they underestimate the competitor, um, but uh, you know it's Amazon because because I'm 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 positive I'm well, not positive I'm pretty sure that Uber has experimented with raising prices in markets to just see if there was a market there was price elasticity, and there was yeah. like all of a sudden you know you don't think they actually do you know experts okay we're gonna do it in Houston or in L A or whatever for twelve hours or whatever we're gonna raise prices a little bit and see how that affects supply and demand like they they know what's going on they know where the, the how, how the metrics play out with the so but they have also know like they've also done lots of modeling which says hey you know if we just keep growing that's the smartest move at this point get as big as possible to stave off any other future competitors and get as entrenched as people, make as much of a habit in as many people's lives. So then when it does, you raise prices 30%, you get rid of the subsidies, people are just like, yeah, you know, yeah, it used to be great back in the day when I could, you know, get across town $11, now it costs 14, but, you know, it's still way better than whatever else I was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you'll lose, I mean, obviously you will lose some customers who are that price sensitive, but, um, you know, some will go from, you know, uh, from, you know, regular UberX or Uber to UberX like, to, to pool to line, you know. They'll, right, they'll, but, they'll, but, but what's going to happen, like, you know, they'll, they're going to switch over to Lyft. Lyft will, might, may get some more customers, but then Lyft are going to have to keep on losing money. Yeah, and at some like point they'll they, both. They, they're never going to grow to the size that Uber are because the the, the market's too, especially internationally, Uber's just like. Way bigger. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously I... I haven't been at Uber for a long time, mm -hmm. and I'm not on the inside of anything uh, anymore. I don't know much more than you do, but I think, I think when people you'll get on, you have the same conversations about, you know, how is Amazon ever going to make money and this and that. But that's just think most people don't really understand this stuff very well. All right. Well, this is something else that I saw on um, HN that I, uh, I'm just basically saying about the ones where I said something and I actually kind of got you know, nine, eight or nine points. So it's like, oh, well, see, that was kind of cool. Um, so this was, um, someone put up an Ask HN, what, what is your your money-making side project that is not tech? Oh, yeah, that I knew tech. that with that. Uh, yeah, looking at that, I was like, oh, yeah. That's kind of cool. Custom and custom um, for you. But uh, the thing that, that I really like, this one guy basically had liked making coffee and he had a breville coffee maker mm -hmm. which like sort of ground ground the coffee and did it did the whole thing and uh, a part broke in it some part broke in it and he tried to source the part so he could fix it and he couldn't find it mm. and so he basically worked out through scanning it and, and 3d printed the piece and mm -hmm. slotted it in and it worked and then a friend of his asked him for for that and now he's he's just got this business that sells these three, for 3d printing parts? like spare parts for this breville coffee machine <laughs> is it that one part or there's very i think so i i think um i think he's he's just focused on um a, a couple of parts but he he said it's not make me rich but it makes me enough to enjoy coffee you know so, but oh, I just so thought, what does that mean like a hundred dollars a month probably or but i just still think that is like I, I just wrote this is my favorite side project ever because <laughs> it's just so specific it's just well and it's just filling a need right it's like there's <laughs> this unmet need 
You but, know, but maybe it, it could be big. I mean, if you if you think about it, like how many different. That's what I love about you know things that start off small like that. He could turn that into something huge if he well, wanted. Well, it's like yeah, it's like okay, so you specialize in replacement parts for all the different coffee makers. You know, all the, all and, the different coffee makers, and then or, you move into other things. And exactly. You say, well, it and, could. It could be, and huge. they just can monitor the ser- <laughs> the Google search stuff yeah. to find out what parts are people looking for, yeah. or what kind of problems do people have, or go onto the forums and people complain because oh, you know, I bought this thing and it broke, yeah. and so maybe they have a catalog of five hundred yeah. replacement parts. Just exactly, it could be. This you know, and they just sell major parts business. for for all kind of yeah. consumer things, consumer electronics, or yeah, um, theory. Yeah. So that's that. That's it. Well, I got so a bunch, get- I've got a couple of other things, but I don't know if they're. I don't know how like much we could talk about them or whatever. I mean, levitating objects with light. A, a paper from Caltech. Now, look, obviously, don't ask me to read you the paper. I just think it's really cool. This concept, levitating paper. Basically, the the, the theoretical. Um, it's it's a Caltech um, paper about how it's theoretically possible to use light to levitate mm-hmm. objects. So you put. A, a lattice of light under the object and it mm. can lift it up and things that are like substantial not just gases or something like that like actual things matter physical yeah matter. well it's funny so, so um sandy was helping early our youngest daughter with her science project and they put a levitating car on a strip of magnets mm. so they have like kind of like there's these the so it's, it's sort of like the sides are balsa wood Right, mm. and so the bottom of this, they put like a little plastic car, and the bottom of it, it sits on like a um, a platform, a little balsa wood platform, which has some magnets on it, and then it has like two magnets, two rows of magnets, like you know, like tracks, these mm. little round magnets, and you could push it down, and it just kind of floats. You got it in the house? Here? Yes, right, right oh, in there. I'd love to have a look at that afterwards. And yeah. so, how does it not fall off? Well, well, I'll see. We keep the wall. The walls keep it. Oh yeah, so yeah. So it touches yeah. the sides, so got that it, it doesn't yeah. it can bounce off those. So it's pretty neat. So Sandy. Had, they were working on that for a while. It's, I think it was more of an engineering project than a science project, <laughs> but the engineering is pretty cool. Like Sandy did a really good job with her. That's cool. Um, instant silence with 3D printing. So basically, um, researchers, they cr- developed a pattern, like sort of just like a, imagine a round a hoop, and then they created this pattern in this loop, this like lattice that bounced the sound around against itself within it. So you could so you could just put this thing over your mouth and it's completely see-through like it's it's like a like a net or something and you could scream at the top of your voice zero sound gets out the other side wow <laughs> 3d printed really? so basically did uh built the whole kind of concept of it based on math like the math of how the sound would travel around right I'm right and, the physics of it yeah interesting let's yeah. see what else i'm gonna see if i can have anything while you're looking i could thought i had some stuff so we, you know, we got to get um, Gilbert Weinberg on for his mental models book. I sent him, I sent him oh, an email, you? yeah, asking, but um, you know, we'll see. Yeah, when did you, when did you, when did you send it? Like last week. No response. Not yet. I guess he doesn't like you, but you know. <laughs> well, you ask him. He'll probably, he'll probably say <laughs> yes to you because you're the one who gave him one of his mental models, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I guess, I guess the rock surface area is one of them. So I could say, hey, man, that's that's your. Um, License fees, you have to come on the show and talk yeah, about it. But of course, nice. he would like it because he's he listed us as one of the podcasts that you want to go on to promote. Yeah. You know, you're, which is the reason why we get so much. I know, which should be like, dude, don't do that so, again. So don't much don't put me on a list. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll give an update on, on Operation Superhero. It's more like Operation Super Injured. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, um, 
So I went and got a cortisone shot in my back and and uh, for you know, my tailbone being all yep. over, being damaged I spoke and to pain. you when you, were, when you were in the waiting room for that. Yeah, and uh, got a... Uh, I also got a, and, and so while I was at it, I had him doing a cortisone shot in that groin, a groin tendon that I told it was strained. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully that'll start feeling it. He takes four to seven days for it to kick in. And so okay. so keep my fingers crossed because that's a big step. My knee, the tendonitis in my knees is starting to subside. <laughs> so coming back. Now it's really my elbow is going to be the last. We can't be known as the as the old guys show where they talk about the pain oh, injuries and, and injuries and stuff. Yeah, what's up with you? You you working out these days? You got any diets? Special diet? Uh, things? I'm just you know what I'm doing. I'm just uh, following. Um, I'm trying to follow like a a, a, a low calorie. Just I'm just tracking calories. Tracking That's calories. what I'm doing. Is that working at all? Yeah. Well, I've I mean I've been doing it for for a few weeks and uh, you know. I'm so going in the right so direction. So three weeks, you kind of hit the that usually the wall for you. That's usually, right. You're good for three weeks. But look, I've, if you look at the if you look at the, my Fitbit trend, you uh-huh. can see it's going down. So, what's your weight now? Two two five dot four this morning. Two twenty five. Yeah, that's a lot. I remember back there was a long time when you were in the two forties. Oh yeah, I was two fifty when we first met. Okay, that's better. Well, I can talk about the crypto trading. Still having problems with collecting data. But but someone sent a link. Someone sent. Yeah, a, no, it's um, none of that stuff is. I, I we need real time updates. That so that's just historical data. It's good historical data, but you need. Re- I mean, and it's usually not even close to the frequency that we need. It's like once a minute or once every ten minutes or so. Ten minute snapshots. We need real why, time. Why not just move to like real trade because it costs so much money? That's a whole nother different. I mean, this is ultimately the thing to do. It's just still pain. I mean, the problem is I can't spend too much time on it because I have so many other math academy obligations and that just eats up a lot. So but, is it worth spending any time on? I think so. I think it's those sort of. But I mean, just conceptually, if you put that same time into more math academy, or and just you know maybe some other aspect of math academy like i don't know marketing or whatever mm-hmm. would that have an exponential effect on your life versus no this? it would not have an exponential i think it'd have incremental incremental i think it would make a difference but not a huge difference i mean the key is right now is just getting the, the data collected it's a problem is it just the WebSocket connections it's weird. I have something with a WebSocket library or something because, like, it would lose connectivity or something, and then I reconnect, and it gives it fires an event like an on open event. Yeah. And then then you go. Then I put like a uh, I do a set timeout for like uh, ten or hundred milliseconds, and I'll say, okay, after that, then you know, subscribe, send a subscribe message to this thing, and then it's then it gives me an error like it's not open, it's not ready, and I'm like, well, what the hell's going on? And then it gets in this kind of continual state of trying to reconnect and not open, not open, not a, you know. So, are you using? Because um, I've, I've the work that I've been doing has been a lot like just really JavaScript heavy. Um, are you use Are you using modern modern techniques? Because there's some really great great new stuff in the browser. Well, it's not new, but it's just Wait, well, this is not browser. This is Node. Oh, right. Okay, Node. <laughs> yeah, not but collecting data. N- out of the browser. Node is running in in Chrome headless, isn't it? How how does Node run? <laughs> How does, how does Node what? run again? Node is a server process. It's, it's, it's a it's, server. It's, 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 it runs out of the server. It's, oh, okay, it's, it's that's the, it. It's just, just the JavaScript, JavaScript yeah. engine yeah. kind of wrapped in a bunch of stuff. Hmm. You know, the, the Node, the uh, Chrome V8 JavaScript engine running in a bunch of other 
yeah. rappers that make up the node environment, I guess. Yep. Sorry, mixing metaphors. Right. <sighs> so and I actually don't even think they're metaphors, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're mixes. You're definitely mixing some stuff up. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the thing I just got to spend a little more time. I have a lot of the infrastructure set up, and everything should work. Um, I just got to figure out why the stupid WebSocket thing, like. It, it just, it says, it's far as the event that's connected, then you go and you try and send something and it's not connected. You know, it's just like, well, what the, and then it, I don't know. It's really frustrating. So really what frustrating. are the people who, you know, your partner's in this? James? Like, yeah, so. What's he's probably, he, he's probably, he has some other stuff he's working on, so he's probably like, not sweating too much. I think he's, I think he's probably a little sympathetic of what a pain in the butt it is. He's also probably a little annoyed that it's taking this long as, as anyone, he's a re- reasonable person probably would be, you know, but it's kind of a, I mean, the thing is, is and I think it's really weird is, oh, this would be an interesting thing to talk about is, so then this, then I put run on the server and then it'll run for like eight hours or 14 hours and then it just crashes. Oh God, I hate that. Like, and a, like some have, core dump thing. Right. It doesn't even say I'm logging everything. I'm logging every error. And I have a um uh I have the was it on error on unhandled exception basically. So any ex- unhandled exception gets caught in node so, so that the, so the process doesn't crash. But it's somehow it's still crashing. And so it's the uh, node process that's crashing, it's not the machine. Yeah, as far as I know. I and that's the thing I got to check out like I I mean I don't know maybe there's some server logs but there'd be the entire Linux, the EC2 instance is crashing. Uh, I guess that's possible. Is it an, a new instance or an old instance? A new, new one. Is there like some script that just restarts it once a night? I don't think so. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Servers don't do an auto restart. They, they do if they got a script asking them to. <laughs> I mean, in a default CentOS kind of. No, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, I. So that's what I got to figure out. Like, well, why the hell is this thing just crashing? And so I was thinking, well, initially, I was playing around with having something create a child process. So you launch it and it just sends up the child process, which is the data collector, and then it would monitor the child event. And if the event crashed, then it would just start a new. Uh, new uh, child process, right? Because um, there's Node has those sort of spawn and exec and you know all that kind of stuff. And what was wrong with that? Um, the parent process for some reason would go down. If the child process crashed, the, the parent process would just exit. And so I was just like, saying, you know, and I was doing like a set timeout thing to try and keep it alive. And I think I, maybe I could just run like an HTTP server that opens up at some private port and it just keeps it. But I, then I was just like, ah, screw it. What I'll just do is I'll just do the unhandled exception. It should never crash. But that apparently isn't working. <laughs> and then I was talking to Nick, who's sort of my other co- He's my system admin bot, right? He's <laughs> my, yeah, system admin bot. Because I don't, I never talked to him in person either. Yeah. I just, I just talked to him on Skype. He is, because um, I just use, you call him when I need him or text him when I need him. And I'm like, hey. Could you set up the server? Hey, could you do this or configure this? And he's he's done a Chile or something. Um, but I've I've been using him for like five, six years. And um, I was like, well, I said, what is out there? Well, can you set something up that will just monitor the process so if it ever crashes, it immediately start up again? Because I tried forever and mode monitor, but they don't really do that. They don't start, if it crashes up, it doesn't really start. It just keeps it running forever. But um, 
uh, but what we use is something called what's it? Oh god, there's some pro something that he he uses that you can just run everything sort of like you can close the console and it just runs continually. It's um initd or something. It's more yeah. of a, and so he uses initd for the stuff we do, which is fine. And you know whatever tools he wants to use are fine with me. So he's sort of turning it into a service. Oh, it is a service. It runs as a service. Okay. But then it, when it crashes, it's just it's not like it monitors it and restarts it. So I said, well, what what are, what are our options here? And he and he's like, well, we have something to monitor. And he's like, you know, come up within a minute or two. I'm like, yeah, that's not good enough. I need something that's like instantaneous. And he's like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, instantaneous, <laughs> like <laughs> like ten milliseconds, you know, like you know, hundred milliseconds, like just immediately, you know. And he's like, well, I don't think anything like that exists. He's maybe one to two seconds. It's like, well, I could live with one to two seconds at worst case, at least initially, mm. you know. Um, but I think I might have to write my own thing. If I want something to be instantaneous, it just has to, it has to be a, it has to be a supervisor process that launches a child process that monitors event on the child process closing. I mean, I, I use this thing called uptime and um, it's just a serve and it, it's, it seems to me to be instantaneous. Um, have you retracted? So what uh, it's called uptime and what do you, what do you do exactly? It's just, it just, it's just a way of creating system services and uh, it's, but it's, it's, it's kind of painful in that, you know, you have to, know how the script works but it it just seems to just start it instantly. So it runs a service and then if it goes down it restarts it that's basically basically it. yeah if you set it up that way also I'll, I'll we'll talk about it offline I'll, okay. I'll show you what we've got yeah so uptime have you used anything else other than uptime uh well because it's a it's ubuntu so like you're using centos not ubuntu right yeah so i think there's a few different ways of of doing services like i've done the init d stuff and mm -hmm. But like I said, let's Why talk about Why do you use uptime over, say, in a D? Man, I just use whatever it works at, at any given time. And so so basically, I always forget how it's all put together. And I'm, I'm configuring a machine and I'm like, oh, man, I need to I need to create a service. So, so I'll, I'll Google it enough because I forget what I did last time. And then whatever's and like, purple, whatever's purple. Like, if it or was whatever's up, a purple link on your Google is <laughs> like, that's it. It's like, it's like uh, oh, uptime. Yeah, okay, I'll try and get uptime working. And then I'll, I'll give it like a maximum of three minutes. And it's like... Fuck! I can't. I can't work out how to do it. So I'll Google something else, and then I'll be okay. Now, now it's in it D. So it's it's different all the time. It's just whatever is the fastest way to get that shit working. See, if we were if we were really uh, on top of things, every time we figured something out, we'd write like a uh, we have a wiki of like how tos. Yeah. Of how you set things up so that you always could go back to them. Because that's the problem with Linux and stuff like that. It's like if you don't do this stuff frequently enough, which if you're a sysadmin, you're probably not going to do it frequently enough. You yeah. always forget it. Mm -hmm. I always forget this stuff. You know, I set it up, and then I don't. Well, have to that's do it the for point of salt. I mean, that's why I have salt, so I don't have to remember because it's just a, an orchestration script that just sets it all up. But mm -hmm. it sometimes breaks, you yeah. know, and that's the annoying part. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I said that the last show. I was like, oh my god, I have to spend time reworking yeah. machines because salt broke. And I do the same thing you do, though. I kind of just like do a search. I'm like, ah, I kind of was like something like this. Yeah. Actually, I do put in certain commands and certain things into my my big ass text file yeah which is like yeah um, you know it has all the stuff with interacting with the server like oh where the where's the pid file stored or how do i where's the de deploy script and you know or what's the whatever and that's the one way i can kind of not forget everything sometimes i'll just have a link to like the description of how to set something up like i found a link there's a stack overflow article on how to configure whatever yeah, but sometimes I'm too lazy to. I don't even think about it. I, 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 you know, you're so like, I just want to get this thing set up, and I don't ever think about the future. 
yep. <laughs> that there's going to be another time in six, somewhere between six and 18 months where I have to do this exact thing all over again. And I'm going to be just as ignorant then as I am now. Yeah. The last, this last time that I did it was with system D. So you did use system D. Yeah. System D. But and system D doesn't restart. It just runs it as a service. If it crashes, no, no, it does restart. Yeah. So basically it does. You And you can specify the, the number of seconds, but you can either say restart second, you know, zero. And it'll just, really? yeah, it just brings it back up as soon as it can. Well, that's what we're doing. So when we get off this show, we're going to. Oh, great. <laughs> great. I absolutely love configuring you system. You do. You stuff. love it. Did you? No, I don't. Remember back in the day, you just loved talking about <laughs> Chef and Puppet. Oh, you my God. You couldn't get enough of that no, stuff. No, that's. that's <laughs> the... Look, I'll just give you this script right here and you can. <laughs> You can do that. No, no, you you gotta you gotta you gotta hold my hand. You gotta you gotta walk oh my me God. through it. I'm gonna email it to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> um. So um, so are we about done? I think. All right, that's a wrap. We're out.